This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, week one's in the books. Paul Meyerberg, Dan Walken here on the College Football Fix from USA Today Sports. It was an extended weekend of football. We got Clemson and Georgia Tech finishing up on Labor Day. We now have the full picture of what the first weekend brought us. We have the first poll that takes into account a full week of games. And, Paul, let's just start at the top. Alabama Crimson Tide took care of business against Utah State. They are number one, almost unanimous, not quite unanimous. But let's talk about the number two team who – Based on the strength of their performance, and maybe a little bit the opposite from Ohio State, Georgia has moved into the number two position in this week's coaches poll. And I think even though we just have one week of games, we can ask the question, Alabama and Georgia versus the field, who you got? <laughs> it's funny you asked that. I was going to ask last week, We were, I think we were talking about the Pac-12, and I was like, I wonder if we took the all Pac-12 team. Could they beat Alabama? Um, I don't <laughs> even know if I don't even know if that's true or not. But hey, look, Alabama uh, or Georgia against the field. Of course, I'm taking Alabama or Georgia, right? I mean, after what we saw Georgia do on Saturday, I don't know. I, I don't know how you couldn't put them number two, even if Ohio State has a really good win. Georgia was incredible. So, yeah, Alabama, Georgia, and then everybody else. I'll take the Tide and the Bulldogs. Yeah, and look, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news if you're interested in a highly competitive football season where you know there's a lot of intrigue and we don't know who's going to win the national championship. I mean, I just can't buy it. We know who's going to win the national championship. It's going to be one of those two. Like, it's not even – and I'm not even saying, like, Ohio State is bad because they didn't play great against Notre Dame or because of any particular reason. It's just – they're, those two are just so far out ahead of the pack in terms of talent, in terms of coaching, the way they put it all together, the way they show up and play. I, I don't know what else to say. Like, we already know one week into this thing who the best team is, and it's 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 either one of those two, and it's just going to depend on when they play in the SEC championship game, who's better on that day, and then probably <laughs> they meet again in LA for the national championship, just like they did a year ago. I mean, I hate to say it, but this is where we're at. Yeah. I think maybe we hoped that it wouldn't be this, not meaning you and me, but maybe like the overall college football public thought or hope that it wouldn't turn out to be so predictable. But look at these two teams. I understand it's Utah state. Alabama was pretty much flawless. Uh, Bryce Young was incredible. It's Utah state. Utah state's fine, but it's still, it's Utah state. Um, But what Georgia did to Oregon was so eye-opening to me. And that's as a guy who, like you, recognizes that Georgia is a machine and they're potentially unstoppable. It still, like, blew me off of my seat. What what is it? Blew me out of my seat? Shot? Blew me out of my shoes? Whatever. Whatever. Whatever You know what I'm getting at. You know what I'm getting at. I I was, even as a believer, I was surprised at how just dominant they looked. So that's, to me... Like, we could talk about a whole bunch of other teams. I would be even the Ohio State game, but the the number one takeaway from the weekend is that Georgia is – they never went anywhere. They're just as good through one week, obviously, that, that uh, as the team that we saw last year. Yeah, and, and we said it in last week's podcast 
you said it, I'll give you full credit, that the 17-point spread between Georgia and Oregon that the linesmakers had was was not enough, that the talent gap was way bigger than that. And so even knowing that going in, you were still that impressed with the 49-3 win, the way Georgia just completely handled Oregon and did whatever they want. Now, I, I tend to think sometimes week one is not the best indicator of what teams are going to be. I would imagine that Oregon is not nearly uh, going to be as as helpless as they looked in that game. But I think it just said a way more about Georgia, the fact that they were so ready and prepared to play that game than anything else. Yeah, we could make it a little bit about Oregon, but the truth is that Oregon is not good. I mean, they're fine. They're not like good meeting. They're not in the Georgia class. Um, they well, could they like, top 10. No. No, I don't think they're so. Not. They're fine. They're top 25. They could drive from Eugene to Athens and pick up as many good football players as they want on the way there, and they still wouldn't be able to beat Georgia. You know what I mean? They could pick up the best player in every state that they cross through. They still would lose that game. So um, to me, it's just they made Oregon, which is like maybe the 21st, 22nd, whatever whatever nonsense team in the country, um, and they made them look like Charleston Southern. Um, this was that November tune-up game in the SEC. They made them look silly. So it's not just about one game. I understand it's one week, but I think it's about something broader than that. And that is, uh, you, they're basically playing different sports, Alabama, yeah. Georgia, and to a lesser degree, Ohio state than, than the rest of those teams in the playoff or New Year's six mix. All right, let's move on to number three, Ohio state dropping from number two, you know, look, I, it wasn't a visually impressive performance. They beat Notre Dame 21-10. to 10. After all the talk about what kind of elite offense Ohio State was going to have this year and, and all the returning skill, you look at it, you know, 21 points, 395 yards, it doesn't blow you away. But in my opinion, the big news from this game was that maybe Ohio State has a defense they can rely on. And they were behind for a lot of that game. Notre Dame did a very good job. They looked very well coached in the first half. Defensively, they were outstanding. They were tough. But in the second half, when Ohio State needed to make their move, they basically shut the water off, and Notre Dame couldn't do anything offensively. Now, you know, that that may be uh, somewhat because their quarterback, Tyler Buckner, did not look that good. Uh, I don't know if he's going to end up being a really – good player this year. Um, but last year, Ohio State was giving up 55 points to everybody. So I think this is a big breakthrough for them. I don't put them in the Alabama-Georgia class, but I think the fact that they showed something on defense makes them much more respectable, in my eyes, as somebody who could at least compete. Yeah, you feel better, like, strangely, even though we expected, you know, 38, 40 points, you feel better in a weird way about Ohio State that it was 21-10. And that's specifically because of the defense. I think Notre Dame's personnel-wise, they're a little bit challenged on offense. And I think yeah. this could be a yeah. season-long issue for them. Um, but, yeah, uh, you're looking for a silver lining. Um, I think you obviously point at that defense and that Jim Knowles, and, and you look at immediate improvement, and, and that's an obvious positive moment. I'm curious what you thought about – let's just look – we, we can put aside the defense. We want to see more, but it's an incredible start for them. What do you make of Ryan Day post game? Basically, and I'm paraphrasing, saying something on the lines of, 
we wanted to show that we could be physical. Yeah. I'm, a little bit to me, like the guy who like trips and then goes into a push-up or into a jog, like, oh, I meant to do that. But do you put any stock into the idea that Ohio State was like, we wanted to show that we could win this style of game rather than be ourselves or be what you thought that we could be? Or are they kind of making excuses post-game? No, I, look, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that that when Ryan Day and that coaching staff was in their pregame meeting, that they were sitting there saying, let's try to win with 21 points. Like right. that clearly did not happen. However, the game is going to play out the way it plays out, and you don't have 100% control in football over what you do, what what your opponent does ha- has a lot to do with it. And I do think Ryan Day's a smart guy. He understands that for them to get this program where they expect it to be, they can't win every game 52 to 41. That doesn't work in college football. So, yeah, I believe him. I, b- I believe that he is sincere in the fact that winning a tough physical style game is more important to what they want to do long term than to come out week one looking like a well-oiled machine on offense. Yeah, I don't buy into the idea, like you said, that they went into this as their game plan. Let's let's go and get ugly with Notre Dame for 60 minutes. But I do think that they adapted to it. And in the first half, I'm sorry, in the second half, their ability to give Williams and Henderson the ball and basically, I wouldn't say run at will on Notre Dame, but especially that last drive. I think it was 14 plays, uh, uh, 10 of them were running plays, seven of them were for Williams. I may have that off by a play or two. That to me yeah. is, is, a, is a telling moment for Ohio State. Um, curious your thoughts on Marcus Freeman. Uh, my concern always, always when you hire a defensive coach and it's, it's not like faking out of school, is what what are they going to be on offense? Are they able to separate themselves from what they want to defend um, against what they want to be on offense, if that makes any sense? I'm curious going ahead. they got a couple winnable games up, starting with Marshall. What are we going to see from Notre Dame on offense, I think, week two and moving forward? Uh, is really interesting. Clearly, this is not what the offense is supposed to be. It's not supposed to run 55, 60 plays a game. I, I can't imagine that's the case. Yeah, look, I think it's an open question, and I think you do bring up a good point uh, about when you hire a defensive coach, what kind of style are you you know, baking into the cake, so to speak. Uh, but like you mentioned, they have some personnel challenges. That's why he's going out and recruiting all these five stars. <laughs> and, you know, I just don't think we have enough information. Uh, I don't expect most teams to – be great offensively week one. Uh, I I just don't think that you can get enough preparation from scrimmaging your own team. Uh, I think, you know, there's no preseason in college football. We know this. Uh, This has been, you know, since, since the beginning of time, pretty much there is rust there uh, that you have to just kind of work your way out of. And it would have been more surprising to me if they looked good on offense at this stage of the game than than what we actually saw. Yeah, I still have hopes that Notre Dame can go ten and two. I think they can against this schedule, but obviously at this point, when you start thinking, "Hey, I got to go ten and one from here," it gets a little bit dicey. They still got Clemson, they still got SC, uh, a North Carolina team that scored a thousand points. So, really interesting Notre Dame going forward. I don't. I think their floor is eight and four, but. Uh, they go eight and four. It could be a little bit tight for Marcus Freeman. We'll see. All right, let's go down to number four, Clemson. 
Clemson beat Georgia Tech 41 to 10 in Atlanta on Monday night in the only game that was going on. So a lot of people watched it, I'm sure. I got to tell you, for a game where the final margin was 31 points, that performance by Clemson left me wanting a lot more from them. I just did not think they were very good. And maybe I'm being overly critical. Maybe I'm being overly harsh at the end of the day. You win a game by 31 points. But I just didn't get a, boy, this team is going to be great vibe from Clemson. Uh, I'm not sure how you could. And the final score is extremely misleading. I mean, the average three yards per carry, under 400 yards of offense. And and I think what concerned me and concerns me the most about Clemson, two things. One is whether DJ was salvageable. And I don't mean from a physical perspective, but he's got all the talent in the world. But a lot of guys hit a road bump as a sophomore or junior, and they don't bounce back. Not everyone can be Kenny Pickett. Uh, and the second was was coaching turnover and 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 what you know what that was going to look like. It's a really concerning start for a lot of reasons. We've anointed them number four just because we've we're out of options. You can't say with a straight face that this is the fourth best team in the country right now. Um, I don't even know if you can say with a straight face they're the ACC favorite. So I don't I don't know what to make of Clemson except that we've seen this movie before, and they don't have the time. Like there's not enough runway here for them to say, oh, we'll, we'll get into it by mid October, early November. They they've got to step it up. So. I'm worried about Clemson. I think it's rightful to be worried. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that was not what I was hoping or expecting to see from them week one against a, a clearly inferior opponent. Well, their, their defense is clearly good enough for them to win the ACC. I, I think that's fair. But they certainly didn't run the ball worth a dang. And DJ Uyunglele was underwhelming again. And, you know, they they come in at the end of the game and they, they put in uh, – Kludnik and he looked pretty good, you know, now I don't know what you take from that because it's, it's basically garbage time reps and you're, you know, I, I don't know at that point in the game, how much, how much Georgia tech was, was really invested in, in what was going on out there. So, so that might've been a little misleading, but you know, whenever you exit a, a game like that and the narrative is, well, we know that there's going to be a quarterback change at some point this season, and that's, that's what literally everybody was talking about. I, I don't know that that's great news for at least the immediate picture because, first of all, it's a distraction, and it's, it's going to be a distraction because it's, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. And second, um, if that's the case, if they're not playing their best quarterback, well, why not? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and we've seen this a little bit from Dabo before, you know, where Trevor Lawrence did not come in and start the first game of his freshman year. Um, you know, there was there was a a transition that had to take place. That's kind of the way Dabo does things. Uh, he's he's loyal to the guys who've been there, to the veterans, and then, you know, he, he will let it play out. But the question is just, is this Clemson team good enough to let it play out naturally? without maybe stubbing their toe. And I don't think they can really afford to stub their toe. Yeah. And the second question is whether he's the difference. Klubnik's the kid who's going to replace. Yeah. I, I just don't know that. We both remember when, when Trevor Lawrence got on campus, like all you heard for eight months from February until he got the job in September was Trevor Lawrence. Trevor, like, you know, the drum beat was going. It's not the quite, it's not quite the same. Um, yeah. I, I, we, We've hit on Clemson. We talk about Clemson as a program that can win a national championship, even this year in this top three heavy group. A lot needs to change. And honestly, I was more concerned 
not more concerned, but I was nearly equally concerned about what the defense would look like. Truth is, they've got so many dudes on that defense. Like they do, it's just not even it's not even funny, especially up front. So this is all about the offense, all about reinvention. Brandon Streeter, who's you know a, a well accomplished assistant coach, position coach, um, he's going to spend this season like as the one of the most watched coordinators in the country, no doubt about it. And I think the heat's going to rise on him, not like job security wise, but just attention on Clemson and on this offense. It's going to rise a lot, especially as they get towards. I think they go Wake, NC State on back-to-back games, but I think there's a buy between. Be yeah, it's going to be really hard. They're going to need to put up some points, even though NC State almost lost to ECU, which we we kind of got into last week. We knew that would be dangerous. Clemson needs to pick it up. Yeah, o- overall, um, and, and let me just mention one more thing about Clemson. They're playing Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's not good, and they're not going to be good. Um, yeah, I, I thought there was a little bit of improvement from, from Jeff Sims, but – they're they're not good. Uh, this was a weekend where really I, I think things went maybe more according to form than possibly any other opening weekend I can remember. Like there wasn't really any big upset of of a ranked team, and and so we I don't think we need to spend too long dwelling on the poll because at the end of the day, you know the poll uh, is is fairly stable. You know, you had a couple teams drop out. Cincinnati loses at Arkansas. Um, you know, BYU is, looks like they're replacing Houston kind of in that that end of the top 25 spot here. And, you know, they, they went on the road at South Florida and won. Houston played a double overtime game against UTSA. Whatever. Um, the only team that really cost themselves in the poll was Utah. You know, dropping from from number eight uh, down around number fifteen, and you know, look, they lost a game at Florida, twenty nine twenty six. I picked Florida. I think it's a tough road trip to go down there to the swamp and play. I give Utah a lot of credit for doing it. It was a game they could have won, a game they should have won, a game they would have won had they not thrown an interception in the end zone right at the end. Did you have an issue with the play calling, or was it just execution, or were, were there other things? in that game for Utah that uh, concern you, or is it just a matter of, Hey, listen, you're going on the road playing a solid team. Anthony Richardson was great. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a big, I don't have a big complaint with anything Utah did other than just one ill-advised play. Yeah. Execution only. Um, winning at Florida would have been a real feather in the cap. Like looking at that game, looking at the way Anthony Richardson took it over, uh, looking at Utah's kind of lapses, it's obviously not surprising that they lost. I don't put a whole lot of like, I understand Utah's like torn up over it. It is a missed opportunity. But like you said, this is, it's a tough place to win, even though it is a debut for Billy Napier, even though it's a season opener, all that stuff. Um, Will Utah look back on this in December and be like, well, that was our missed opportunity? I don't think they're going to look at this game as a missed opportunity. If they don't get to the playoff, it's not because they lost by three on the road against Florida, which is going to be a, a quality loss. It's because they slip up in the Pac-12. So yeah, um, it was one of the best games of the weekend. And, and more than that, like it was just great to see a true home and home, like a true home environment, two really good teams or two very good teams. And uh Credit to Billy Napier and also credit to Anthony Richardson. I mean, from being like lost on a milk carton last year to being a guy who's in the highs and mix right now. Pretty cool. He's got, he, he's, I don't want to say he's like Cam Newton. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, but 
with his length and his explosiveness, his ability to break tackles, his ability as a runner and as a passer, his big time arm. It's it's a pretty unique combination of skills. I'm really excited to see what Napier does with him. It, it's not a ridiculous comparison. Um, now, obviously, you don't want to ever say to somebody who's not accomplished what Cam Newton accomplished that he's going to be anything like or have the greatest individual season in college football history, which is what Cam Newton did for Auburn in 2010. But I think right now, like you could put him in the Heisman conversation without batting an eye easily. Uh, You could put him in the top five pick conversation for the NFL draft without batting an eye. The question I have is just, did Dan Mullen kind of futzing around with the quarterback position last year cost him his job? Mm-hmm. Or was Anthony Richardson just not not quite ready yet? That's one of those unanswered questions we'll never know the answer to. But I'm sure Dan Mullen will, will give us his thoughts on that at some point um, on, on ESPN probably. But I think, uh, yeah, I, maybe Matt Jones. Remember Matt Jones from Arkansas? Six yeah. foot nine, whatever he was at Arkansas. Maybe that's a better comparison because both those guys are a little bit unpolished as passers, like big time arms, but not quite like Cam Newton. Uh, so, either way, like whatever the reason was for why twenty twenty one went off the rails for Florida, I think a big part of it was the fact that Dan Mullen wouldn't just play Anthony Richardson. But again, we don't know. Like it's like why a five star running back comes on campus. We're always like, why is he seeing the ball? Why? And it's like, well, because he doesn't pass block. So who knows why truly Anthony Richardson didn't get it last year, but um, Billy Napier uh, is going to get the most out of him. I mean, we've seen that throughout his whole career. So cool win for Florida, and like they need the help. The fourth pick in the preseason in the SEC East just beat the number one team in the Pac-12 by a field goal, whatever. It's just another reason why the SEC is is pretty dominant. Uh, Michigan, number five, they looked uh, really good. Took care of Colorado State. You know, AM kind of messed around a little bit. Their, their game was strange against Sam Houston State. There was a very long weather delay there. Uh, Oklahoma got the first win for Brent Venables. They're number seven. They beat UTEP. Um, you know, Baylor played nobody. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't really have a ton of um, observations about USC because I didn't I didn't see the game. Uh, a- anything to gain from from their performance? They played Rice. Yeah. That's just that's just that's just not. Um yeah. so I don't know what to make of that. Except that Caleb Williams like threw threw a couple touchdowns, three incomplete passes, had a bunch of rushing yards. I mean it is what it is. They played Rice. One game I think maybe we could touch on for a sec then is is um it's just that NC State ECU game. I thought NC State yeah. really lucky to escape that game. But it then comes back to this idea like why is Virginia Ple- Virginia Tech playing at Old Dominion? Why is Virginia Tech playing Old Dominion, period? Why is NC State playing ECU? You have nothing to gain, everything to lose. So don't do it. Play Norfolk State if you're going to go to Norfolk, if you're Virginia Tech, or go play whoever you want. Don't play App State, don't play ECU, and don't play uh, don't play UTSA. Don't play any of these dudes. Schedule it down. Pay them to, to beat them is what I say. Well, look, I think when you're trying to establish your program, when you're trying to build up momentum, it is not it does not make a lot of sense to to play these games that, that you can lose. And like, okay, you're Brent Pry, you get the Virginia Tech job, you got to open at Old Dominion, yeah. you lose the game, and you've got people 
bailing on you after one week. Now, mm-hmm. as irrational and stupid as that may be, that is the recency bias reality in which we live in sports and particularly in college football. And as Virginia Tech fans were telling me on Twitter over the weekend, this is not a one-time thing. We've seen them play at Old Dominion before. I, Justin Fuente lost once there as well. But they've got to play them like three more times in, in Norfolk because it was a 10-year deal for them to play Old Dominion home and home. That is what I don't understand. Five times you got to go play there? I mean, you get it from a recruiting perspective, right? But it's not like Virginia Tech can get their recruits on the sideline in Norfolk at that bandbox right. stadium. Like, they can't. So what's the true benefit? Like, you you think people in the Tidewater, Norfolk area are going to forget that you exist? So you back yourself into a corner, uh, and like we found out, it's when you lose to Old Dominion that, that like, you don't ever think it would happen. But then you lose to them, and you're like, well, this is really bad. We just put a down payment on this house in Blacksburg, this log timber cabin. And now I'm 0-1 having a loss to Old Dominion. This is bad, sweetie. So uh, just don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. Just don't do it. You know, I didn't have a big issue with, with NC State and, and what they did because, look, that's a tough game. Mm-hmm. And I think East Carolina is a pretty good team. Like, I think when you look up at the end of the year in the American Athletic Conference, they're going to be, you know, an 8-9 win team. Totally. I could be wrong, but I just – I think they're pretty good. I think they're on the, the right track with Mike Houston, who I know was an excellent coach. Uh, they, they played competitively, but but there's no doubt. NC State was hanging on by a fingernail that you've you've cut to the cuticle, but it still won't pull off. Right. You know, it's just kind of hanging there on your finger, dangling. That that was that game for NC State. Um easily could have gotten beat. Uh, I, I I'm gutted for for East Carolina's kicker okay. because um that was that was cruel and unusual punishment to miss that extra point and then miss a field goal at the end, uh, but <clears throat> that's part of the game too. I think if you're you're NC State, you you just take a big deep breath and and move on. Um, I don't know that it means they're they're not as good as as they're ranking. I don't necessarily think it means they're not top fifteen. That was just that was a trap that was laid for them and they almost stepped in it. Yeah. Um, this year might be different for NC State. It felt a little bit NC State-like. But again, like NC State in the past, uh, they're the team that loses 21-20 because their kicker pushes yes. a field goal wide against Clemson. So maybe this year will be different. And the state of North Carolina was uh, crazy because you had uh, a game between North Carolina and App State that was almost – I don't need, it was almost too ridiculous to be true. <laughs> um I don't even know what what that was, uh, other than just North Carolina's defense is absolute garbage, and yeah. they won the game. They won the game. They held on and won the game. But that was uh, that was that was not a uh, confidence inspiring performance by the Tar Heels. No, uh, a sixty two point fourth quarter. So that's one off the FBS record for combined points in a quarter. I think Navy and North Texas set that way back in the day. So that's wild enough on its own. One thing going into the game that I don't know if we talked about, but stood out to me was that, like this gap in experience. App State has like 15, 60 year seniors on their two deep. So that they came out in front early and that UNC responded, but App State had what it took to get back in the game. Not really surprising. I don't know if you can really look at North Carolina and take this team seriously as a top 25 team, but like 
They did win at App State, and App State's pretty good. So I do commend UNC for winning the game because App State, probably the best team in the Sun Belt. I, you got to put some stock in that. So better than the alternative, Dan, which would be to lose. Yeah, I mean, the Sun Belt's going to be pretty tough. At North Carolina, in, in talking about scheduling and just sort of the weird ways that the teams approach this stuff, uh, they got to go right back out on the road this week and play a game at Georgia State in Atlanta. Mm. How, how weird, has, has any Power 5 team ever played back-to-back on the road against Sunbelt teams? I, I, that is almost no certainly way. never happened. No, there's no chance. No way. I think it's going to go a little bit smoother on Saturday. Georgia State's okay. They play South Carolina on Saturday and made it a little yeah. bit harder on them, but I think this one will go smoother for the Tar Heels. But no, I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, back-to-back <laughs> on the road against the Sunbelt? I don't understand that. So I don't really have a ton of other games to, to discuss from, from the weekend. Um, I, like I said earlier, I thought it was, was pretty straightforward. The, the one result that, that did make me kind of uh, stop and, and notice a little bit was Arizona, of all teams, going out to San Diego State and, and not just winning, but winning quite convincingly. At San Diego State, who's been such a solid football program under Brady Hoke the last couple years, Arizona has been way, way, way down. Uh, got some energy with the hiring of Jed Fish, and you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk about their improved recruiting, and uh, they they were still not very good last year. There was maybe a glimmer of improvement, but for them to come out and and put it on San Diego State like they did, thirty eight to twenty. Uh, that that's a very impressive performance. They've they've got Jane Delora, the transfer from Wazoo, through four touchdowns. Is it time to take Arizona seriously as a football program? No, uh, I refuse to no. do that. I refuse. Um, but scoring thirty eight points on San Diego State is is definitely like something you tell your parents about. Like that's you should be proud because it's not, not a lot of it's not normal. Not a lot of teams do that. Now uh, San Diego State's got some stuff going on. Um, it's the NFL desk stuff now. So we're not even going to go there, but I do think yeah. that that might've played a little bit of a role, but still like you put 38 points on San Diego state, like that's something to talk about. And at a time where that bottom third of the PAC 12 is not impressive, where you have UCLA. I mean, even at the top, you have Utah losing Oregon, using UCLA struggling early against Bowling green. Uh, there may be some room for Arizona to make a charge. You know what I mean? A lot of people have been talking about Jed Fish from the start, about his ability to, to change the culture there and make people pay attention to Arizona or make the guys believe because he's an optimistic, rosy cheek kind of guy. So maybe that's it. Maybe they just start to believe in themselves and, and add some transfers, and that's the ingredients to go 6-6. Six and six. But if you can beat at San Diego, if you can win like that at San Diego State, you, have, you absolutely can win six games in the Pac-12 or get to six wins in the Pac-12. All right, a couple more things to review from the weekend. Florida State – Beats LSU 24-23 in New Orleans in, in one of the most ridiculous finishes ever. Um, I, I don't even it, – it's one of those games, and, and people get mad at me on Twitter for, for saying this, but I, I just think it's true. Like This is a sport where you're paying these coaches many, many millions of dollars, many millions, and they just get the basic crap wrong all the time. <laughs> I mean, Mike Norvell, what are you doing? What are you doing at the end of that game? 
I, I love Mike Norvell. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's going to, if they give him time, I think he's going to get Florida State pointed in the right direction. But my God, man, why are you pitching the ball mm. at the goal line when all you have to do is just not turn it over and you win the game? And yeah. what do they do? They turn it over on the half-yard line and they almost lose. What are you doing? Yeah, I think that if they had lost this game, Mike Norvell would be like, he'd be trending. Let's put it that way. It would have been it would have been rough for him. Uh, as it is, <clears throat> Brian Kelly, oh. tough. And it's not just the loss. You lost yeah. to Florida State. They're a better football team than Florida State. I mean, top to bottom, roster-wise, talent-wise, they've got more of it than Florida State. But if you had said that Brian Kelly in his debut was going to lose to Florida State, uh, in his backyard, and they were going to be awful, awful, awful up front. They were going to botch their special teams at a to a historic level, an unforgettable level. Um, they were not going to get anything out of the passing game with those, with those kids they got on the outside. I think you would have been very, very, very concerned. And what unfolded to me was a concerning performance from LSU, truthfully. So Brian Kelly's got nine years and 11 games left on his contract. I'm sure he'll get it turned around if given time. But that was the kind of loss that makes me wonder um, what we're going to get from LSU this year and how things are going to look. Maybe if they have three weeks until they get in the SEC, they can turn things up a bit. But I'd, I'd be worried if they were heading straight into the heart of SEC play right now, what you'd get from this team. Yeah, look, I think it's a reflection mostly on what a disaster that program had been for two years under Ed Orgeron. Um, the personnel is just not – what we're used to seeing from, from LSU, Jaden Daniels, he's just a guy, Yeah, you know, and, and he was obviously a very promising prospect at one point showed some, some stuff as a freshman at Arizona state. He's just a guy. And I think that's probably where they are at a lot of their positions uh, on that team. They have some, some guys that, that are not LSU type players. And so he's got to deal with that. He's going to get blamed for it because he's, you know, he's, he's a new coach and he's not a particularly warm and fuzzy personality. And there's a lot of people kind of waiting to bury him because of a lot of the goofy stuff that happened when he took the job, the family and, you know, the, the weird dancing videos and all that crap. Uh, but I think he's a good enough coach that over time it's, it's, it's not, I think this game will be forgotten, but yeah, I, I was higher on LSU than most coming into the year, and, and now I'm sort of wondering if this may be like a seven and five type team. Yeah, I, I, I think it will be a seven and five team, and that's probably fine. Like win your Texas Bowl, go eight and five, and start building for it towards the future, you know. But um, yeah, uh, Brian Kelly. Um, I can't, we, just the accent. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mention this every single week. I just can't get over that moment, how bad that was. But he'll get it turned around. He's a he's a fantastic football coach. Just let's recalibrate expectations, I think, for this year's team. Like you said, they're they're talented to me because you do have difference making players. But your when your tackle situation is bad, your quarterback situation is not great, even though you gotta take something from the ninety nine yard drive. I think that's a positive. Your kicking game is bad. I, I just think that's not great altogether. Combined. And then last thing from from week one, I'm going to talk briefly about two teams that just laid absolute eggs. One is Boise State, 34-17, losing to Oregon State. 
Oregon State is not a bad team. They've become a solid program under Jonathan Smith. But I do think this is a new reality for Boise State that maybe people haven't quite caught on to yet nationally, mm-hmm. that just how average they are. And then the other team that I thought was just really concerning the way they played was, was Louisville. Oh. They get beat 31-7 by Syracuse. Which, which one of those do you want to start with? I, I don't really care, but – both of those teams, I think, deserve a little bit of commentary for, for just how bad they were. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with Boise. And, and this isn't my thought. I saw this online maybe yesterday or, or, or yeah, yesterday. No, Sunday. Um, it's really telling that Boise got doubled up and no one's really talking about it. And that yeah, was a really I good point. That was me. That was I, you. I okay. Me. I thought it was. I wasn't sure. Um, I think that's a really telling, nuanced point to this. Um it's not just about losing to a Pac-12 team. Boise didn't just beat every Power 5 team they played. They, they, even in their heyday, they'd win four out of five. But these losses would happen. It's that they lost their juice. They've lost the juice that made them Boise, which is like no one is talking about them. No one yeah. is even batting an eye. They got they got whooped by Oregon State. I, I think that's a really – it was a really good point. I think that's telling. For Louisville, um, uh, I just this is all about Scott Satterfield to me because he needed a big season. And this is the sort of loss that – if I was a Louisville fan, to get walloped by a Syracuse team that has not been able to exert itself physically on anybody in the ACC almost throughout Dino Baber's tenure, except for maybe that one breakout year, that's so troubling to me. And I would basically, I, I wouldn't be checked out. I'd be really, really cynical about what this team was about and what they could achieve. Unless Syracuse is going back to 10 wins, which is highly doubtful, that's the kind of loss that really gives you a peek into what, what there's maybe some problems. At LSU, he's got a great recruiting class right now, um, and maybe that'll salvage his his position. But if they don't straighten up and they go four and eight, I don't know how at, at Louisville you say we can go forward like this because the direction of the program I think is troubling after one game. I think Satterfield's good, but man, that was that was an all time own goal when he interviewed for that South Carolina job, mm. and it went public and. You know, I don't know if, if this was something where they were trying to like strong arm the administration there into some sort of coaching contract extension, but ever since then, it's it's been weird. The vibe at Louisville's been off yeah. ever since then, and there's just no trust with the fan base there in, in, anymore. So when you lose like that to Syracuse, it's a real problem. Um, as far as Boise, let me just say this. And I've talked about this before, but it really is hammered home with the situation Boise's in right now. There are programs that can hire two good coaches in a row. A lot of programs can do that. It's very hard to do three in a row. Very hard. You know, Memphis is one of those. Memphis hits on Justin Fuente. They hit on Mike Norvell. Mm -hmm. They hire Ryan Silverfield, and it's not going great. You know, three in a row is really hard for for a program – that's not a, you know, even for a great program, it's hard, but especially for a program where, you know, it's, it, you're not guaranteed success. Boise had hired four good coaches in a row. Yep. From Dirk Cutter to Dan Hawkins to Chris Peterson to Brian Harson. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we can talk about the varying degrees of, of who was good. And yeah, obviously Brian Harson wasn't Chris Peterson good, but Brian Harson did a damn good job there. So now you got to go hire a fifth guy in a row and you end up with Andy Avalos. And I'm not sure he's the guy. 
I'm not sure he's the guy. You know, and I hate to to render a judgment. He's, it's a second year, but this is this does not look like Boise State that we know and love. Yeah, I think it's fair to be like with Satterfield to a lesser degree than Satterfield. Be a little bit skeptical. Uh, my read on it when they hired Avalos is that it was a, a a put faith in a dude hire because they knew him really well. They had seen him interact with guys. And they knew that he had learned from some of the best. And I, maybe you grow into the job. Um, that's a problem, though. You know, that's a problem. This isn't. This is still Boise State. So I don't know if you really can learn on the job and grow into the job. So, yeah, hitting on five in a row would be almost unprecedented if he does bang out the way that the rest of those guys did. But to let's give Oregon State a little bit of credit. They're a really oh, good yeah. team. They could be the third yeah. best team in the Pac-12, easy. But it's the ease in which they made Boise look just so pedestrian that I think is going to trouble a lot of people. So. And that Mountain West is tough. San Diego State, maybe not. But Fresno, Air Force, those teams are are right there on the verge of the top 25. So Boise is going to be in a tough spot, I think, this year to get back to 22 to 25 in the poll. It's, they've got a lot of room to make up. All right, we've made it nearly 40 minutes into the podcast without discussing the big news from Friday, which is the college football playoff is expanding. It's going to 12. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, this is, this is all played out so strangely. Uh, which is typical of the college football playoff uh, and the PR machine run by um, former Bush administration spokesman Ari Fleischer, who is now a a sports PR consultant that the college football playoff and the BCS before that has paid a lot of money to do a terrible job. They are the worst at public relations ever. And yet this dude still cashes checks. I mean, he might as well just like come to their meetings with a ski mask on because he is he is absolutely stealing money. They, they dump this news on a Friday, you know, that, that they're expanding the playoff. And it's the same plan. It's the same plan that they had 14 months ago, 15 months ago. Uh, it's going to be 12, six automatic bids, six at-larges. It's the plan that makes sense. It's the plan that all the conferences agree on. It's amazing that the alliance, the Pac-12 and the ACC who voted against this like three months ago are now suddenly on board. Shocking when, when they're – entire existence is is basically on the line if if the Big Ten decides they want any of those teams. Um, it, it's ridiculous it came to this. It's, it's ridiculous it took this long. It doesn't seem like they're going to be able to really get this done until 2026. So be it. I guess there's some logistical challenges. Um, you know, maybe 2025. It's going to be tough. Uh, the only thing I don't like about the plan is – the quarterfinal games, they're using the bowls, yeah. which means that, you know, for an Alabama or whoever's going to be a, a one seed or one, two, three, four seed, you're going to be playing three straight weeks to win a national championship at these neutral sites. It's a lot to ask of the players. It's a lot to ask of the fans. You have to have fan bases travel three times. That's not going to work. I'm sorry. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be some issues there. It would be so much better if they just said top four seeds host quarterfinals. Yeah. Way better. Better product. It would look better on TV. It would be more fun. It would be a good reward for those teams to an incentive to win every game in the regular season. I, I just don't understand why they do this, uh, but they have decided to – include the balls. I hope they revisit it. I'm not sure they're smart enough to do that, um, but at least they didn't trip over themselves completely and got this done. 
Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to revisit it, Dan. I mean, and I don't think you do either. But I, I, I want to reserve judgment on it because I think it might be really cool. Um, I think it could be a cool scene to have to, to see those quarterfinals in a bowl game. It, I think it could be. But that's just as a viewer. Like, I'm sitting at home and I'm watching this and I'm, like, kind of reveling in it. Um, I don't know if a lot of a lot of folks will remember, and it wasn't, like, a huge deal anyway. But in the early years of the playoff, one of the things that schools, players, uh, universities, I mean, athletic departments, and families all rallied around was um, it's really hard to get these families, just families of players, to these two yeah. games. And that was a deal that, that the playoff really worked on. And I think Bill Hancock and those guys took it really seriously. They're going to have to like kind of address that and not just for the families and the parents of players, but what can we do uh, for the fan experience? Because look, like we saw last night in Atlanta, Georgia tech playing in Atlanta against Clemson. That was not a great crowd. Um, as far as I could tell on TV, which is, which is amazing. I mean, Clemson's a two hour drive. Right. And Georgia tech, obviously right in the backyard. So uh, I, I don't, I don't want us. And I know we're doing this, but we're going to kind of lose perspective on like all these guys talk from February until August. What are we going to do to, a, to, you know, improve the fan experience, get fans in the seat and improve our ticket sales. And you're kind of like then saying, you know, out of the other side of your mouth, well, we don't care because you really don't um, about the fan experience or like, you know, selling tickets, having a good vision on your TV screen of a full house. I think that's a concern of mine and an argument to have games at home in the quarters, but, um, the best argument, like you said, is Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State would have taken care of business all year. Why are we rewarding, except for the logistics and the finances of it, why are we rewarding the sixth and seventh team in that 12-team playoff and not teams one through four? To me. So that's something to consider, but obviously they're not going to switch it up. Yeah. All right. We'll have plenty of time to discuss the playoff. Let's get into week two. It's not a great schedule, unfortunately. A lot of um, a lot of thirty point games we're going to be seeing this weekend. <laughs> let's let's discuss a few that that are interesting. Alabama, Texas at noon in Austin. It's interesting because it's Alabama and Texas. It is not going to be interesting once the ball is kicked off. We agree on that. Uh, I mean, define interesting as in competitive. I don't think it's going to be competitive, but I think it's no. going to be super interesting. I'm going to be very interested in seeing where this game goes. What did Sark say? We don't. We're not going to define ourselves by the result against Alabama. Right. I totally agree. <laughs> but we are still going. There's still going to be a sub, a sub, you know, section of the population that's going to say we're going to define you by what happens on Saturday. Well, and I, we'll, and it's going to be we'll, bad. We'll get our first look at Quinn Ewers. You know, mm-hmm. most people really haven't seen him at all. After all the hype, that'll be interesting. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have no expectation that that Texas can hang with them. Uh, not a lot of people, at least I don't think a lot of people who who try to watch from our perspective watched Alabama on Saturday. There's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, they looked really good. <laughs> they looked really good. They looked almost impenetrable against you know a mid-tier group of five, yeah. upper tier. So if that Alabama team shows up, then they're going to win by 30 points. I don't know what the spread is, but I would pick Alabama at like 41-21, something like that at this point. I, I just don't think Texas is even in the same realm as Alabama. I mean, who does? The best matchup of the weekend is actually going to be a late game. 10-15 kickoff, ESPN, Baylor at BYU. This is a huge test for Baylor. It's a a very important game for them if they want to make the playoff. Because, you know, when you're in the Big 12, the margins are are just not as as big. 
as they are in, in maybe the, the Big Ten or the SEC. Uh, I think Baylor is playoff quality, potentially. But uh, this is a game that would really help them. You know, BYU is a good team, a good program. And, you know, they're, they're kind of right in that end of the bottom 25. Uh, they, they had a very impressive offensive performance in week one. What do you think? I mean, this is – I hope I hope I can stay up late enough to watch the end of this game because I, I will tell you 10-15 kickoffs are not easy for me. They're challenging. You're an early riser. Everyone knows this about you. Um, I do so, get up every day at about 6.30, right, regardless, so of, regardless of how late I stay up. It's, it's right. a curve. So a 10-15 start. Uh, who's the broadcast carrier this one? This is ESPN. Okay, so we'll yep. get done by one one forty. Um, so you'll get your four hours. you got to fall right asleep, though. That's the problem. When we we always we talk about how many hours we're gonna sleep, like at night, you're thinking out your day. That always is about like if I fall asleep right away. No one falls asleep right away. So it's it's gonna be late for you. I think um, like you said, the the this is a bigger game for Baylor than BYU. BYU is a good football team. I'm not quite sure if they're as good as last year, but they are better defensively. And that's been the talk all offseason that their defense would be better. So they absolutely can win this game. If Baylor does win it, um, it, it a it widens their path because it it gives them a little bit more room for error in the big three games. I think of Big Twelve play that's OU, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and it gives the Big Twelve a real marquee win because I do think that even though it's at ten fifteen, it's it's the game of the weekend, and I do think that on Sunday at least we'll be talking a bit about Baylor Sunday, Monday, Tuesday next week if they win this game because it's a super high quality win on the road, no less, against a really good team. I may have to sneak in a nap at some point Saturday because uh, Mississippi State at Arizona kicks off at 11 p.m. 11. Eastern. Yikes. Yikes. 8 yeah, what, p.m. Pacific. That's crazy. I did not know that. I was looking at the late games at 11 o'clock. What is the deal with that? Is there like some sort of parade going on? They had to delay the game to 11? You could take a nap, Dan. It looks like here. You could take a nap at, at about 3.30 to 5. Yeah, but I got, the, I got the U.S. Open women's final Saturday afternoon. Oh, man, how did I forget about that? Okay, so you might need to take a nap. You could take a nap between 7 and 10 because, you know, this is the official uh, USC Stanford Saturday night of the regular season. Yeah, which what are they want to watch. Who's got the fo- – what photos do they have? What are the photos that exist right here that always puts this game in prime time? I've covered this game in person, and I've it's literally fallen asleep in my chair. One time during this – this game is so boring. I actually left the press box. Stanford, you park outside pretty close to the gate. I left yep. the press box – because I need to get a jacket out of my car. I left during the game. That's how boring these games are. So I don't know why Baylor BYU couldn't be the eight o'clock or the seven forty-five on ESPN. Would have would have been really nice. We also get at seven Kentucky Florida. Pretty good one. That's a good one. What do you think? You think Florida's got mojo? I think Kentucky's pretty good, but Florida, obviously, I mean, it yeah, is I mean, Utah. Florida's at home, you know, and and they they may have a little bit of a come come down to earth. They're going to be celebrating hard this week at Florida. Oh, my God, yeah. Absolutely. Hey, um, Houston at Texas Tech. Houston escaped UTSA. We spoke about Houston maybe running the table. That seems a little bit unlikely to me now. But if they beat Texas Tech, they're on pace. They're on track to have a really great year. I don't know what to make of Tech. They're going to be out their QB again. So I don't know what to make of that game. But that's a group of five power five game to watch. One other one just was going to say was, um, uh, I'm sorry, Iowa State at Iowa. Iowa scored seven yeah. points the hard way, a uh, field yes. goal on two safeties. So we'll see what – you know what this means? This game will be like triple OT, 44-42, because 
this is the Cyhawk. It always gets out of control. But that's and, another and one. We always watch. get the, this week of the schedule. We get a lot of pictures of that trophy. It's a terrible trophy. It's the worst trophy in sports. Yeah. Is that um, – but that's the one that they replaced, right? The old Cyhawk where it's like on top of a thing and there's – it's like silver or something. Did they actually replace that trophy? Yeah, it's like, like, like a little – it's like a little fam- – I'm going to look it up right now. It's like a little family. Yeah. It's 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 a terrible trophy. Um I don't know. Or maybe maybe they maybe they replaced that too. I don't know. It's there was a very weird thing about that trophy at some point. Um yeah. you got Tennessee at Pitt. Tennessee was very explosive in week one, which we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh they they were playing ball state, so whatever. But uh that's a good one. I mean Pitt Pitt is you know, Pitt is 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 the ranked team here, uh, but Tennessee's the favorite. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, Dan. Right? I mean, yeah, it doesn't surprise Tennessee me. I probably should be favored. Yeah, I don't know what to make of Pitt. I mean, this this game is now like almost a week old, so we won't spend too much time on it. But that Pitt West Virginia game, um, not quite sure what to make of Pitt. Obviously, Narduzzi's feeling himself, and he's gonna, you know. He's going to be a chatterbox. I just don't know if 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 Pitt is really that good. I really don't. To me, like like the spread says, I would pick Tennessee to win this game. And if the Tennessee does win this game, that's that's another step forward, I think, for them. And I think that they'll get some top twenty five consideration if they end up winning this. Like I think they will. All right, I think that's enough for this week. We covered all the ground we possibly could from week one to week two. Thank you very much for listening to the College Football Fix. We drop new episodes every Tuesday discussing the latest news and poll results from around college football. Subscribe to the College Football Fix wherever you listen and find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. Appreciate everybody being with us. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Wolken signing off for week one. We'll talk to you after week two. The College Football Fix Podcast. Ooh.